Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Wednesday, February 14th, and there's no love lost in Washington. We start here. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas becomes just the second cabinet member in history impeached by the House. The yeas are 214 and the nays are 213. The resolution is adopted. It looks like he'll keep his job for now, but this has big implications. We'll break it down. Another American has been sent to Russian prison under questionable circumstances. There's no evidence. It's perhaps the most brazen legal strategy yet. We've got the family member of the accused joining us. And you are now free to move about the picket line. They've been screaming from the hilltops for, you know, for a number of years saying this isn't fair. Why flight attendants say they're ready to go on strike if the government will let them. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. When you run for office, the pitch to voters is generally that you're going to get stuff done. Here are my priorities. If you elect me, we're going to pass these bills and policies to reflect those priorities. Well, over the last week, we've seen Republicans on Capitol Hill struggle to agree on what those priorities are and break ranks when it comes to pushing them across the finish line. It turns out border security is not actually a risk to our national security. It's just a talking point for the election. First, there was substantive stuff. Advocates for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan wanted a big foreign aid bill passed to give these militaries money to fight off the threats around them. That stalled over Republican demands for a border bill. But even when a bipartisan bill materialized, many Republicans refused to vote for it. We're talking about millions of people who will get work permits right now. So that's the substance. Then there's the stuff that feels more symbolic. As the crisis at the border continues to spiral, Republicans demanded that Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas be held responsible. The actions and decisions of Secretary Mayorkas have left us with no other option than to proceed with articles of impeachment. Democrats and even some Republicans said, wait a minute, how are you going to impeach a guy who's done the same things as so many of his predecessors? That effort, too, went up in flames. Mayorkas has not committed a high crime or misdemeanor. Um, There is a policy difference. This week, GOP lawmakers are trying again. On Monday, we saw this foreign aid bill finally pass the Senate. And then last night, for just the second time in history, a U.S. cabinet member was impeached by the House of Representatives. Let's go to ABC's Jay O'Brien at the Capitol. No need to adjust your dials. You're not experiencing deja vu. Jay was at the House last time this happened. Jay, big difference from last week when this failed by a vote. This time it succeeded by a vote. How significant is this impeachment? I have not left this microphone since, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, you laid out the arguments very well. Republicans say that Mayorkas violated immigration law. Democrats say this is political and unconstitutional. Whatever way you slice it, though, there is no question 
that this is historic and we are in, frankly, relatively uncharted legislative waters here. Mayorkas is only the second cabinet secretary now in American history to ever be impeached. The last time this happened was in the 1870s during the administration of Ulysses S. Grant. That cabinet secretary was impeached for good old fashioned corruption. This is a much different set of facts, whichever way you look at it. Um, But the reality here is twofold. One, constitutionally now we have this process that has to play out where there is a trial in the Senate. Right. But two, more at a thousand yard glance, there were Republicans who voted against this, that group of three who opposed this, who are really worried, they say, that this opens up a can of worms and begins this idea of perpetual politically based impeachment. Oh, like like you impeach my guy now, I get to impeach your guy. Like that's the new norm is what they're afraid of. Um. So what? Changed last night. Like you said, there were three no votes among Republicans. How did this end up passing this time? Yeah, they banded together. They didn't change their votes, but it all really hinged on Steve Scalise. The yeas are 214 and the nays are 216. The resolution is not adopted. So think back to last week. Those three Republicans were no votes. And there was that one Democrat, Al Green of Texas, who in dramatic fashion, you and I talked about this, showed up at the last minute from the hospital and cast a no vote as well. And so put it over the goal line, doomed that impeachment resolution, and it failed. On this vote, the yeas are 214 and the nays are 213. The resolution is adopted. The only reason it worked this time, Brad, was that there was another yes vote to offset that no vote. Steve Scalise. Scalise is the number two Republican in the House. He wasn't here for that vote last week because he's been out periodically to undergo cancer treatment. They plan it on a day that they know that Steve Scalise is going to be in the building. And sure enough, he is in the building. He shows up. He wishes everybody a happy Mardi Gras because he's from Louisiana. And we now know, okay, because Scalise is in the building, this is on track to pass. And even with that Steve Scalise yes vote, Brad, just to show you the position that House Republicans are in right now with their slim majority, it still was a squeaker. They needed 214 votes for this to pass. They got exactly 214 yes votes. No room for error. Wow. Okay. So then what happens next for Mayorkas? You said so. Like any impeachment, it starts in the House, then goes to the Senate, right? Right. And so first, there's this ceremony where they have to transmit the articles of impeachment over to the Senate. That's up to the Speaker as to when he wants to schedule that. But the real next step is that there's going to be a trial in the Senate. We did exactly what we should be doing. Now it's up to the Senate to do their job. Constitutionally, the Senate has to take this up in some way. They can have a trial on the Senate floor. Remember the Trump impeachments? That's what we saw. A House Republicans serving, in this case, as prosecutors. And then Mayorkas could have people there as de facto defense attorneys. The Senate could also refer the trial to a committee, which means a committee would carry out this trial and leave the Senate floor to continue on with its regular business, which would be pretty vital because the Senate has also got to fund the government by March, in addition to all the other big things that they've got going on. And then the Senate could also move to dismiss this pretty quickly. Wow. The Senate is controlled by Democrats. So there's no question that Mayorkas is likely to be uh, acquitted and not removed from his job. But the Senate could even before that move to just dismiss these charges without that much of a trial. And how that plays out legislatively, Brad, still remains to be seen. Again, this is largely unprecedented. It's only happened when you think about a cabinet secretary one other time in American history.
Well, and so then if we're, it's interesting that you say like the Senate could just decide to dismiss this because you've got Republicans over in the Senate. They're like, we got bigger fish to fry here, which brings me then to just I quickly wanted to ask about this big foreign aid bill that kind of died, then rose again. The Senate has now passed this bill that would aid these foreign militaries to the tune of billions of dollars. What happens to that now? Yeah, and the Senate passes it, Brad. Remember, with a pretty decent bipartisan number, 22 Republicans ended up defying that pressure from former President Donald Trump and voting for this bill. Will we give those who wish us harm more reason to question our resolve? Or will we recommit to exercising American strength? So now it goes to the House where its future is a lot less certain. House Speaker Mike Johnson has said he doesn't want to put this on the floor without some immigration provisions in it. Does that sound familiar? It's because he said that before, which kicked off bipartisan immigration negotiations, the product of which Johnson ended up rejecting because they weren't hardline enough. Nonetheless, that's the position Johnson is taking at this hour. And so the question then becomes, if Johnson doesn't budge, which it doesn't look likely he's going to, what other options are there to put that bill, which again has already passed the Senate, onto the House floor for a vote? Wow. And you see how much timing has mattered in all this, because last night a Democrat won that special election for the seat left empty by George Santos. So as of this morning, Republicans still control the House, but it's about to be even tighter if you can believe it. Jay O'Brien watching all this from his perch high above the House floor. Thanks, Jay. Welcome to my life, Brad. Thank you very much. Next up on Start Here, if you're cleared of wrongdoing by American authorities, that might not stop the Russians from finding you guilty. A bizarre new conviction after the break. With daylight saving time upon us, we're looking forward to more daylight and longer days from March through November. And while setting our clocks forward gives us the illusion of more time, it doesn't necessarily help businesses find qualified candidates any sooner. Fear not, there is a solution. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is your 24-7 hiring partner working tirelessly to connect you with the right candidate. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets distributed to over 100 job sites, ensuring you reach a diverse pool of qualified individuals. Their smart technology scans thousands of resumes, matching you with people whose skills perfectly align with your job requirements. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash start here. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. So you know how in recent years, Russia has detained some Americans on what many described as trumped-up charges for crimes allegedly committed in Russia. For Trevor Reed, it was violence against a police officer. For Brittany Griner, it was marijuana possession. For Paul Whelan and Evan Gershkovich, it was larceny and espionage, respectively. They're still imprisoned abroad. I don't want any American to sit wrongfully detained in one extra day if we can bring that person home. Well, yesterday, in a startling new step, 
Russia convicted and sentenced an American man for what they say are crimes committed on American soil. So here's the story. David Barnes is a 66-year-old man from Alabama. He had two kids with his wife, Svetlana Koptieva, and raised them near Houston, Texas. But near the end of their marriage, she made some disturbing accusations that Barnes had sexually abused their boys. He denied it. Texas authorities looked into the allegations and found insufficient evidence with which to charge him. Case closed, they said. Well then, as in many divorce cases, Barnes was slated to get partial custody. But in March 2019, Koptieva ran off with the boys, eventually to her native Russia. Barnes followed them there. He says he was trying to reestablish contact and get visitation rights through the Russian courts. She called police to get him away from them. I didn't steal anyone. I was just protecting my kids. This is where the story goes from something icky and unsettling to something unprecedented. Because Russian authorities didn't just tell Barnes, sorry, Texas family court has no jurisdiction here, kids gotta stay here, you gotta go. Instead, they arrested Barnes and charged him with abusing his children back in Texas. All of these materials were examined in 2014 and then once again in 2018. Outside court, Barnes' lawyer told ABC News he had never seen anything like this. Not one social worker, not one expert, not one specialist, not one of them over all of those period accepted her version. And yesterday, after a trial that stretched for over a year, a Russian judge declared him guilty and sentenced him to 21 years in a Russian penal colony. You could actually hear Barnes' disbelief when the ruling came down. He didn't drop it. He's saying they didn't drop it, like they didn't drop the charges. And so while the mother, Kostieva, says this is justice served, some Americans are nervous this represents a dangerous new tool in the Russian toolbox, in which their courts can convict Americans, evidence-free, for crimes allegedly committed somewhere else. We are joined now by the sister of David Barnes, Margaret Aaron. Margaret, thanks for being with us. I mean, what was your reaction when you heard this verdict and sentence? We were devastated because we always had hope. I mean, you can't not have hope that he would be acquitted. So we were just crushed. There's no evidence. They are basing this on claims that Svetlana made while they were living in Texas that were unfounded, that were, that were baseless. He was never convicted of anything in Texas. Mm. So there's no evidence. There's nothing for him to be convicted for. Yeah, did the Russian authorities, did they go back to the Texas investigators and say, hey, what do you have? Here's what you got, like compare notes? No, they're basing it on her accusations. The prosecutors there offered information to David's attorney. But the conviction is not even based on that. It's based on lies. Hmm. I, I know this is a difficult question to ask, but I should ask. I mean, is there any chance in your mind David did, in fact, abuse his children? Absolutely not. He loved his children. They were taken away from him when they were in Texas. He spent three years trying to find them after she fled to Russia. He did find them and he went over there. I mean, he risked his life to go over there to try to actually see them. He had hired an attorney to help him do this. So, no, I, it, he loved them. Well, and, and that's what's so singular about this case, right? That that regardless of even how the investigation went in Texas and what they found in Texas, the fact that Russia would be like, we, we're going to have our own trial based solely on witness testimony about something that happened somewhere else. 
that seems like the takeaway here. I mean, now, what happens to your brother now? Do you have any sense? Well, there will be an appeal. And that's all we know right now. The The sentence is to send him to what? A penal colony, right? Do you have any idea what that entails? No, I don't. Other than it's bad. Yeah. It's it will be worse than where he is at right now. He's been in, they call it a detention center, but it's a prison. He is in a small room with, I believe it's nine other men. It has been up to 12 or 13. The food that they, you couldn't survive on the food they feed you there. Um, You have to get supplemental food sent in, which we have to take care of and order. He may or may not get that food because it gets either not order, you know, something happens to it on the way to him because look what you're dealing with. Um, so he's very worried about his nutrition. He doesn't get to go outside. Uh, they get one shower a week. Wow. He didn't even get a change of clothes and he was in the same clothes for two years, but he is very, very strong. He uh, makes sure that he reads reads books, you know, keeps his mind active. And he has, he is incredibly strong. I was going to say a lot of, some of this sounds so similar to the circumstances of Paul Whelan and and Trevor Reed, who was actually released a while back, right? I'm wondering what your family is hoping to see from the U.S. government going forward here. Bring him home. He, we're, we're trying to get him on the wrongfully detained list. They have all the state department has all the information they need to do that, but they have not done it yet. This is like a list where it says like, we officially consider you wrongfully detained. Therefore we start the process of trying to submit the application yet, which has been done, but we have not heard a word. It's been probably nine months ago. Um, step in, take action, do an exchange, something. Yeah, and, and we reached out to the State Department. They responded with a statement saying they, quote, have no higher priority than the safety and security of U.S. citizens overseas, end quote. They also said they were shut out of this trial over the last week and that they still need to complete a fact-based review of this case. But, like, Margaret, I guess I'm just wondering, like, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but if Russia does, in fact, impose this sentence and this does go forward, what kind of message does that send to the rest of the world in your eyes? Uh, justice system doesn't work in other countries like it may work here. Be careful where you go, where you travel. But David did it for love and just the love for his children that he did not want to give up. You know, a lot of people wouldn't have done that, but he had to. Well, Margaret Aaron, I, I know it's been a really difficult you know, last couple of years and especially difficult last 24 hours. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Usually, when there's a picket line, it means the workers on the line are on strike. Well, yesterday, at airports around the country, thousands of flight attendants were picketing. Once they were done, though, they went right back to their jobs because for these employees, it's actually illegal to go on strike. ABC's Sam Sweeney covers the airline industry. Sam, what was happening here? These were 100,000 flight attendants from three separate unions from more than 20 airlines around the world that were taken to the picket line. We are not standing down any longer to substandard contracts, to substandard conditions, to substandard wages for what we do. We Some say they have not received 
pay increases in more than five years. And Brad, the reason they're picketing and not actually going on strike is you know, they fall under the Railway Labor Act, which dates back to 1926, that dictates this process. And when things get really heated, meaning they cannot come to an agreement, uh, the union with the company, then they would end up going to the National Mediation Board. If it doesn't work there, they would go into a 30-day cooling off period, and then they can possibly go on strike. But what typically happens is with the major airlines, the federal government can come in and say, not so fast. You're not going to go on strike. Get back to work and figure this out. And this happened in the 90s with American Airlines when their pilots wanted to go on strike during the holiday season. Bill Clinton and his administration said, you got to go back to work and figure this out. And so with these flight attendants now, Sam, I mean, what are the complaints? What are they looking for? There are a number of things that, you know, that they are, are fighting for. Of course, front and center is pay. Most people don't know that most flight attendants don't get paid when the aircraft door is open and the parking brake is set. So when you're boarding the plane and they're welcoming you and they're helping you with your bags, they are not getting paid. When a flight is delayed one, two, three, four hours and they're sitting there, they're not getting paid. That's Wait, that seems like the worst for. part of the job, Sam, is the part where like they're like telling people, no, sir, you can't sit there. You can't change seats yet, sir. And that's what they've been screaming from the hilltops for, you know, for a number of years saying this isn't fair. They're closing bins. They're making sure the plane is ready for you to go and close the door when they actually start getting paid. They're making zero dollars. Anytime I tell anybody this, they're shocked. They are demanding better working conditions all around. As we've come out of the pandemic, airlines are scheduling more and more flights. You know, they are limited to a number of hours they can work by law. But you have to keep in mind, these flight attendants may start a trip on Monday, but they end on Thursday or Friday. They're doing multiple legs a day. Oftentimes their flights are delayed. They're stuck in airports and they're only getting, you know, the minimum rest requirements at night. A man is now banned from American Airlines planes after he allegedly attacked a flight attendant, breaking her nose. Flight where an attendant had two of her teeth knocked out when she was punched in the face by a passenger. And in the last several years, this job really has become increasingly more difficult. For a number of years, they were the mask police and they were dealing with arguments. We've seen delays and cancellations and the struggles of coming out of the pandemic. And these flight attendants really are on the, the front line. I was um, hit in the head, knocked to the ground, and I sustained very serious injuries as a result of that. I was crying. I was traumatized. And then, of course, we have these situations in the air where they're the first line of defense. Mm -hmm. Think about just a couple of weeks ago when that door fell off the Alaska Airlines plane or on that Japan Airlines plane when it crash landed there and then blew up in flames. And those flight attendants were responsible for getting hundreds of people off that plane and they did it safely. And that's what they're calling attention to. And Sam, is there an element of sexism here? Just because I'm thinking about this is a, a, an industry that has been dominated by female workers for so long compared to some of the other jobs in aviation. Is, is that part like I'm thinking of like the old Pan Am ads? Like, like is that is that still is that culturally part of the issue here for some of these flight attendants or no? Yeah, that's what some of the unions are saying. I'm Terry. I've got great connections in Miami, all over the sunshine states of America. Fly me. I'm Marisa. 
You know, not too long ago, they were called stewardess or air hostesses, and it was a predominantly female industry. Of course, there are uh, many males that do this, uh, you know, job now. But yes, there are some of these, the hangover effect. And some of the things that female flight attendants say they deal with on the regular is passengers and sexual harassment. And also, of course, the pay disparity between flight attendants and pilots. These flight attendants say they deserve you know, substantial pay increases, not just what inflation is. You know, pilots are seeing record increases in their wages, making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And these flight attendants feel a little bit left out. Mm. So then I'm wondering, Sam, at the end of the day, we have these picket lines, but how effective is that going to be? Like if there isn't the threat of an immediate strike, are they what kind of relying on customers to not fly and not cross the picket line or what? I mean, what do they expect to happen? This is all part of a a bigger process. You know, they're calling attention to their issues. They're calling out their companies. They're calling out the senior leadership on these companies to get the job done and give them a contract so they don't go on to these next steps, you know, mediation and strike authorization votes and cooling off periods. They're bringing attention to their cause. Wow. Yeah. And we're just now seeing that a group representing Alaska Airlines flight attendants say their members have voted overwhelmingly to authorize a strike. Again, a lot of steps before that actually happens. But Sam Sweeney covering the airlines. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, happy Valentine's Day with a capital Lent. One last thing is next. People who disappear without a trace. The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. And one last thing. Got big plans for Valentine's Day? Maybe you got a romantic dinner at that fancy steak restaurant or a big night on the town. It's called a feast day for a reason. But for the Catholics listening, you know there's a bit of a calendar clash this year. According to the Roman Catholic schedule, February 14th has coincidentally landed this year on the same day as Ash Wednesday. You know, the day many Catholics attend church, reflect on human mortality, and abstain from frivolities. There are even rules you're supposed to abide by here. No meat, no snacks, ritual fasting is on the menu. Even if you eat the traditional fish, Ash Wednesday rules say an expensive lobster dinner is out of order. So if someone buys you chocolate, what do you do? This year, bishops are recommending saving yourself for the weekend. Saving your appetite, that is. That'll go well, right? Hey, babe, it's not that I forgot a reservation, it's just that I made it for Saturday instead. See how much I care about us? Some Catholics do suggest alternate activities for tonight. Take her out for a salad. You don't need steak, right? You could probably do a fish fry. But now consider this. Ash Wednesday is also the first day of Lent, so if you're giving up sugar or chocolate for Lent, which are pretty common sacrifices, that means all that Valentine candy is going to have to sit on the shelf for another 39 days. Luckily, while some people give up alcohol voluntarily, there's nothing in the catechism that says you can't have a glass of wine with dinner. By the way, this confluence of dates and days, it doesn't happen often. It last happened in 2018. Before that, it hadn't happened since 1945, but the next instance of this will be 2029, so try to remember this. My wife also says to remind everyone flowers are allowed, and wait, she's not even Catholic. I I should probably get to a flower shop right now. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. 